Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Hello, I'm Dave Lynn, and I'm a partner at Morrison and Forrester based in the Washington, D.C. office. And I'm pleased to be joined today by my colleague, Megan Gerking, who is a partner in Morrison and Forrester's global antitrust law practice. Megan's practice is focused on government facing antitrust matters, and she previously served as a trial attorney in the DOJ's antitrust division, where she investigated and prosecuted antitrust violations and international cartel cases. Megan, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Dave. We've certainly heard a lot of discussion about antitrust enforcement in the media lately. Could you help us understand the latest developments? Absolutely. It's certainly been an interesting couple of years. And now, even more recently, a couple of weeks in June in the area of antitrust enforcement. I actually think that we're in a potential watershed moment in antitrust as we know antitrust today. There is a real possibility for reform of antitrust laws to become more restrictive for businesses and also for antitrust enforcement in the U.S. to become much more aggressive. For several years, critics of, quote, big tech have been advocating for the breakup of big tech companies, saying that they've been allowed to get too big through mergers and acquisitions, particularly of nascent competitors. And through other practices that critics say make it harder for other companies to do business with these companies, and also that they self-preference for their own goods. This has been a rare, unifying topic for Democrats and Republicans in this environment. There's actually bipartisan support for reform. And while we've seen U.S. enforcers become more active in this space, For example, the DOJ, FTC, and state AGs have brought cases against a few of the tech companies in the past year. A few events that have been playing out very recently suggest there could be major change ahead. Specifically, on June 15th, Lena Khan was named chair of the FTC after she was confirmed by the Senate. This came as a surprise not only to the antitrust community, but as reports suggest, to the Senate and potentially also to Khan herself. This was also contrary to customary practice. While the president nominated Khan to be one of the five commissioners, it was not known until after she was confirmed that she would be named chair. Typically, when the president nominates someone for the chair position, That would be done at the very outset so that the Senate would be aware that the person was going in as the head of the FTC. At the same time, just on Friday last week, there were five new bills that were introduced in the House that would make it harder for tech companies to complete acquisitions and make it more difficult to preference their own products. I think both of these parallel developments are very significant. Khan has been an advocate herself for breaking up the big tech companies. And with her at the helm of the FTC, we could see some very aggressive enforcement, particularly in areas of mergers and acquisitions that we have not seen before. She'll also be driving policy. It's possible that she could advocate for rulemaking in this area as well, even if Congress does not act itself. 
And any sense for what might happen next, particularly on the enforcement front as a result of these many late-breaking developments? You know, it's difficult to say. There are still some unknowns that will absolutely impact the potential effect of Khan being named a chair. And on the legislation, there's still some distance to go. First, on federal antitrust enforcement, there's not been a named DOJ assistant attorney general yet in the Biden administration. This is also somewhat unusual. I think in past administrations, an AAG, the antitrust division, has been named no later than spring. So this is very late in the game. There's also some potential limitations by the courts. The FTC has suffered some big losses recently, and the Supreme Court also stripped the FTC of its ability to seek disgorgement or financial remedies just in April. And finally, one other relevant factor is there are three Democratic commissioners named to the FTC and two Republican commissioners. One of the three current Democratic commissioners, Rohit Chopra, was named to head the CFPB, but his confirmation process has been deadlocked. And so confirmation has not been scheduled. So the timing of when he moves is uncertain. It's also not clear who will replace him. So there are absolutely some unknowns for the FTC and more broadly for federal antitrust enforcement trends. But I do think that these are all trends that are going in the direction that companies and boards, especially considering mergers and acquisitions, need to consider these developments stay up to date because they have the potential to be potentially very significant. Yes, certainly all this activity points to the importance of having in place an antitrust compliance program. In addition to preventing and detecting potential antitrust issues, are there other potential benefits for putting in place a strong compliance program? Yeah, absolutely. Shifting gears slightly, in addition to prevention and detection of antitrust issues and ensuring that your business practices are in compliance, the DOJ Antitrust Division announced a significant policy change, actually almost two years ago at this point, in July 2019, that it would take into account companies' compliance programs at both the charging and sentencing phases of criminal antitrust investigations. This was a significant change. It's been a long-standing policy of the division that compliance programs were only really taken into account at the sentencing phase. So now companies that meet the division's criteria could potentially be eligible for reduced charges, no charges, or even a deferred prosecution agreement or a DPA. The DOJ criminal division has long since considered corporate compliance policies and exercising its prosecutorial discretion, but this is new ground for the DOJ antitrust division. Since 2019, when the policy went into place, the antitrust division has issued DPAs showing that this new policy is having an impact on enforcement. Has the DOJ said what makes an effective antitrust compliance program? Alongside with the policy announcement, the DOJ Antitrust Division issued guidelines discussing how they plan to evaluate antitrust compliance programs. In its guidance, the division sets out three main questions as prosecutors should consider. Is the antitrust compliance program well-designed? 
Is it being applied earnestly in good faith? And does the compliance program work? They also outline a number of factors or criteria that it would consider when determining whether it is well-designed and whether it works. And the AAG at the time, Macon Delrahim, cautioned that these nine elements, it's not a checklist. And companies' antitrust compliance programs should be risk-based. But some of the factors are considering whether the program is well-designed and comprehensive. Does the corporation have a meaningful culture of compliance? Who in the corporation has responsibility for the compliance policy and the program? And does it report to, for example, the board? Whether the program incorporates risk assessments that are reevaluated? How the company trains and communicates about its antitrust compliance policy? Whether there is a reporting protocol as part of the program? what incentives and discipline measures are in place, and also remediation efforts after discovery of a potential violation. So these are, again, all factors that are relevant that the DOJ will consider, but important for everyone to know that it's not just a checklist, that effective antitrust compliance programs should evaluate the unique risk that each company faces and be tailored to those risks. Are there any other antitrust compliance trends that boards should be aware of? Yes, Dave. One topic that I have heard discussed recently and its potential for impact on antitrust risk are efforts related to environment, social, and corporate governance issues, or ESG. I know that those are becoming more top of mind to companies and that there are significant efforts underway to achieve those objectives. Satisfying those related demands can often frequently lead to a push for coordinated efforts among companies in the same industry to discuss the best way to achieve certain goals. For example, through benchmarking and sharing information and ensuring things like purchasing or energy efficiency standards are adopted. These are very worthy objectives and should be pursued but they do require boards and corporate counsel to be vigilant in their oversight and appreciate that regardless of the goal, regardless of the objective, that antitrust guidelines are followed. This is because working together with other companies within an industry, especially your competitors, regardless of the goal, can implicate the antitrust laws. And we have seen at least one related investigation by the DOJ in recent years. So this is one issue that I think it's important for boards and companies to consider as they pursue ESG objectives. Great. Thank you, Megan, for joining me. And thank you for providing all those insights on a very dynamic area. Thank you very much for having me today, Dave. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.